sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get that ditch. You don't have to get that ditch. Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devano and Lockie Flanagan here. Missed any of our chat at the start? We discussed all things Serie A from the weekend. Some real big games. Milan, unfortunately, losing Napoli. Oh, it just pains you so much it, to it say does. it every time. And you know, it's so I, sweet. I, I, it's so I didn't sweet. watch the game live. I actually I, I had to get up for work early because it was at the terrible time of 1am, the kickoff this morning. Um, Anything and between I, 1 to 3? Terrible, Bim. terrible. Bim. And um, I, I woke up, bleary-eyed, checked the score and literally just looked at it and then threw my phone back <laughs> down and got up and was like, stuff, this. this has been a bad start to the day. Um, and also we chatted a bit, a little bit about Juventus's issues on and off the pitch at the moment. But now we're going to turn our attention to Spain. We've got Stan Sports, Nick Stoll joining us here to talk all things La Liga. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, boys. I mean, Nick, it's been a bit better for Barcelona over the last couple of weeks, starting to get some results under Xavi. How have you seen it? Look, it's small improvements in patches. Uh, look, you're not going to reinvent the team within two weeks. Um, and look, the win against Espanyol uh, in the derby was unconvincing. Espanyol had two late chances that definitely could have resulted in uh, Barca losing that game. Uh, the game against Benfica, I think, was a big disappointment and puts Barca in a really bad position going into the final game. It's probably, it is possibly the first time that they could miss the knockout stage for the first time since 2004, you know, which is basically the entire messy era. And then again, look, against Villarreal, there was plenty of moments where Villarreal was the better team. But Barca have, you know, found a way to win um, and that's important. There's a belief there. Um, you know, certain players are getting integrated into the team more, the likes of um, Nico Gonzalez, uh, as well as Gavi uh, is really imposing himself on the team. Even Coutinho is coming off the bench and uh, scoring a penalty and he's building in confidence. Um, and uh, players like Frankie Jong, Frankie Jong, you know, is still not having the most amazing of games, but just being a little bit more decisive, getting into the box, uh, creating chances, whether it's through his passing or through his runs. Um, so small signs of positivity, but still a long way to go. Is there anything specific? Like I, I, we know that from, from, sorry, I have to say his name, Nick, Ronald Koeman, uh, the mm. only, the redacted Koeman, uh, the only way <laughs> is up. Um, but are there any yes. sort of specific little tactical tweaks that you, I know it's only two weeks in, you can't necessarily stamp your brand on the team just yet, but have you noticed any slight tactical tweaks from Xavi already? I mean, mainly uh, Kuman liked to play with a back three and Xavi is very much wedded to the 4-4, the 4-3-3 formation. So there's those kind of tactics. But honestly, there were times when Kuman's Barca played some decent football. It wasn't all terrible all the time. And then to say that Xavi's football is all good all the time, I think is false as well. So really it's more... You're seeing what you want to see, basically. When when you see Barca play well, you think to yourself, "Yeah, look, they're doing really well." You're forgetting that they were also moments of good football under Kuman as well. So, um, you know, I think the main kind of uh, thing is that the the players look a bit more confident. Um, 
I think even in terms of uh, they know they're a bit clearer on what to do when they have the ball. So, for example, um, there was a lot made of Terstegan in terms of when to play short, when to play vertical, and actually the goal came off a very vertical pass from Terstegan straight up to Memphis Depay, got on the end of it and scored to make it two one. So, small tweaks like that, um, you know, more players within the midfield. Uh, it was kind of for a while there under Kuman, it was a lot of De Jong and Busquets. Kind of that was it. He likes to bring Gavi in. He likes to bring Nico in. Even if the players who start wide, they come in and then the fullbacks go forward. So small tweaks like that, but just, you know, very much the Guardiola system, the system that he played uh, as a player there, Xavi, he's very much trying to replicate that. Um, and we'll see how it goes in the coming weeks. I mean, what does this do now for the expectations? Because I know that he said he wants to, you know, sort of focus long-term. And he's obviously doing that with his team selection, playing a lot of young kids and really giving them an opportunity to thrive. What, 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 where from here? I mean, they're seventh on the table. What should be, I guess, the goal? Would it just be to make the Champions League for next season? Would it be just try and close the gap as much as they can with the top two? How do you see it? I think the goal obviously has to be Champions League um, because of the financial realities of the club. Mm. This club needs that cash injection. Not only that, you know, no players are going to sign any other contracts if they're not playing for a Champions League team. Barcelona won't be able to recruit players. So, Top four is absolute minimum. Um, even with all the, you know, rejuvenation of the squad and bringing through young players. The thing is, though, it's not just like he's bringing in any young players. He's bringing in some exceptional young players. I mean, Gavi is already basically a regular now into the Spanish national team and will play at the World Cup. Um, Pedri, unfortunately, is injured, but he should come back around uh, New Year's and he's going to win the Golden Ball. I think he's already won the Golden Ball. Um, you know, he's been a revelation. Uh, Ansu Fadi is one of the most exciting young players in the world, uh, injured as well. Um, but, you know, and then you've got like players like Nico Gonzalez and this is a very talented young group. Uh, they're inexperienced. They will make mistakes um, in moments, but there's enough quality there that they can make top four and they should make top four. As can they go to Munich, get a result um, and, you know, hope Benfica stumbles against uh, Dynamo Kiev. Could be very tough. So they might be going out of the group stage. They might go into the Europa League. That might be good experience for them. Um, it might test their depth as well. Uh, but it's also possible that Bayern rests a lot of players, has a lot of players out through coronavirus as well because um, that's a big issue for them. Uh, and, you know, Barca could get a result in Munich. is not unheard of. So, look, there's the immediate thing, which is Munich. And then after that, there's kind of pushing for top four. Um, but, no, I wouldn't expect them to definitely challenge for the title this season. Well, maybe, Nick, if you're, you're lucky, Bayern can end up with a sort of, uh, I'm not sure if you saw it over the weekend, but a Belenense situation where massive COVID outbreak, only nine players, <laughs> ha- seven nil down, I think, against Benfica <laughs> at halftime. Strange things can happen, may- Maybe. Maybe Bayern Look, can, uh, can do you a solid. I think I think Barca should consider that option. I think they should send an undercover agent with COVID, try and infect <laughs> the whole team, and then go for that. Look, I, I would have put a basket. And what is he doing on the team bus? <laughs> He, yes. are, are you sure Pedri's injured or is he just having his long, long, well-earned holiday that he should have had in the summer? Well, I mean, this is. I remember when he was playing in the Olympics, and it yeah. was like he played about seventy games in a row, and there was all this concern of like, give the kid a break. He's played every three days, um, you know. And basically, everyone kind of flagged it then. Just look, this guy's playing too much football, and inevitably, he's barely played this season because you know his body's broken down. Now we hope that the damage is only short term, 
But, you know, there are a lot of players who kind of broke through at a very young age. I'm thinking players like Michael Owen and even kind of like Robbie Fowler. Unbelievable, 18 years old, playing all the time for both their national team and their club. And their careers kind of died, you know, around the age of like 24, 25 because they just had too many kind of miles on their on their legs. So I really hope that doesn't happen with Pedri because I think he's a special, special talent in the kind of Iniesta bracket uh, of player. Um, but the way that they managed, both the way that Barca managed him and the way the Spanish national team, you know, they didn't need to take him to the Olympics. They already had a stacked team. Mm. Um, the Olympic medal wasn't to them some great, oh my God, we have to win the Olympic gold medal. You know, they were experimenting a lot with their team. So... I, I don't know why he needed to play, especially after he played the Euros as well. And they, it might cost them going into the 2022 World Cup. I mean, the the official medical, well, unofficial actually, medical report that I'm reading at the moment is saying things about muscular problems, scarring on the quad. I refuse to believe that this is anything other than a very severe set of shoulder injuries for Petri. The amount of carrying yeah, that carrying, he's been doing elsewhere, elsewhere in this season. <laughs> there, there could be no other explanation, really. That's, that's I the mean, truth. Look, anyway, injured or not, I hope he gets a good rest. I hope he comes back better. And also, this is probably, I'm sure he's itching to get back only because this is a more exciting team to play under. Um, he, of course, uh, you know, has trained with the likes of uh, Gavi and Nico and these kind of young players. He's got a very good relationship with Ansu Fati as well. So, you know, once Barca gets all these players back, Dembele is another one, you know. Dembele, mm. I mean, perennially injured. When in cameos... Very talented player. Um, one of the most two-footed players I've ever seen. And a two-footed winger is so dangerous because if he cuts inside onto his left foot, he can score. But if you give him space to go on the right, he's happy to just run it in and cross. So he's such a dangerous player. Now, there's issues also with his contract. Um, apparently, he wants more money than Barca are willing to give him. Barca are trying to give him a contract based on incentives and how much you play. And that makes sense because he's going to be a very expensive player who doesn't play a lot historically. Um, but there's a lot of talk that Newcastle are interested and in willing to offer him a lot more money than Barca. So it is possible that Dembele will leave either in January or uh, later in June. But I, th- I think that is like the, the, the way you've listed the, the integration of the young players, both the ones that are injured, the ones that are currently playing as well. A- at the macro level, that's probably the most, the biggest impact that Xavi can have, irrespective of how well his team functions, like his tactics, all that sort of thing. Uh, just the pure fact that all these young players will want every single week to put in their best for a, a living Barcelona legend is, is going to work out as a, even if, Xavi completely fails as a collective. The amount, I would say, and you're welcome to disagree, that these players will push themselves to play for him is going to be a net benefit in the long term for for Barcelona regardless. Yeah, I think so. And and look, there's a... I remember... um, reading an article about uh, when Johan Cruyff first came into Barcelona as a coach and, you know, he had a lot of crazy training methods and, you know, this journalist asked, well, why, if you guys thought they were crazy, why did you go along with them? They said, well, because he's Cruyff. You know, at a certain point when you've looked up to such a legendary player, you will be a bit more open-minded to their methods as opposed to, you know, when uh, Rafa Benitez uh, turned up around Madrid and he was telling Modric not to use the outside of his foot and he was he was telling, you know, yeah, he was telling another player how to take free kicks and the Madrid players honestly started calling him 
La Diez, the number 10, uh, as a kind of joke of like, oh, look, this guy thinks he's better than all of us, you know. So the fact that Xavi is such a legend means he will automatically uh, get respect. Um, you know, there's been a lot of stories, and I feel like this always comes out whenever there's a new coach joins a new team, but of the demands that Xavi's putting on the team and, you know, the fact that Xavi is uh, – there was a story on the weekend. He never sat down. The whole 90 minutes he was on the sideline standing and pointing, and, you know, he just wanted to get out there and play. Uh, we've all been there. But, you know, the typical thing of, oh, he's not going to let Gerard Piquet go to his tournament for tennis or whatever, and, he, you know, it's, I don't know, cutting out the tomato sauce or whatever, whatever is the, the story they always come up with. But, look, these stories always come out. But what is clear is Chavi is very clear-minded about what he wants and is much more clear about communicating that. And also, at least in the press conferences, which is what we can see, presents a much more optimistic view than Kuman. Kuman was often reflecting on, well, what do you want me to do? Oh, it's a young team. Oh, you can't really blame me. I'm, I'm only working with what I have. Whereas Chavi is saying, we can do this. We're very positive. We have the players. We have the positive. And that should breed confidence within the team. Yeah, that sounds like the man that Barcelona needs. But Nick... I don't know if you heard Stolich before saying that thing about the outside of the outside of the boot. I think somewhere up in Geelong, uh, Ante Jukic felt a disturbance in the force when when that phrase was uttered. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I mean, Ante, Ante, look, Benitez was completely wrong, but I think Benitez ended up years later denying that he ever said that. I don't know uh, who to believe on that, but we're glad. I think everyone is glad um, that Modric ignored him. I, I think um, Ante shuddered at the fact that you had something positive to say about Frankie de Jong. I think that's another thing in itself. Look, the, the Frankie de Jong hate from Ante comes from the fact that Frankie de Jong just absolutely bossed Real Madrid in 2019 <laughs> in that uh, second round game. And Modric was on his ass when de Jong just went past him. Look, obviously de Jong has not fulfilled his potential. We all thought that he might be a kind of generational midfield talent and he hasn't been that. My argument would be let's wait and see because he's also joined Barca probably in the worst three-year run that they've had since 2007, maybe 2004. Um, you know, an aging Busquets, um, a forward line ahead of him that's been unclear on what it's supposed to do. So the thing that's interesting about Frankie de Jong, he played a lot deeper at uh, Ajax. He played kind of in that number six role, often dropping in between the defenders, picking up the ball. Now he plays in a much more advanced role, which he's not exactly Iniesta in the way that he can sit between the lines, turn and kind of, you know, in between the space, you know, kind of the perfect player in that position. He's much more of a player to kind of progress the ball forward with both his dribbling and passing and then get into the box himself, Um, you know, intricate intricate play on the edge of the box, not so much his forte. Um, but that's where, you know, someone like uh, Gavi and Nico can be very effective. Hey, we mentioned uh, Luka Modric. Uh, Real Madrid are flying at the moment. I mean, top of the league. Mm. They're, they're, mm. They're, I mean, they're ahead of Atleti. Atleti haven't been necessarily anything to, to write home about, but they got a, a, a scrappy win against Sevilla, getting the job done from behind this morning. How have you sort of seen Madrid this year? You know what's killing me about Madrid this year? And I say this openly and honestly that I don't want them to win any game and any time they lose, it's hilarious. But Vinicius Jr., for the last three years, I genuinely was like, ah, good potential, but the guy has no composure. Yeah, he's quick, but that's it. He's got nothing in terms of like killer instinct in the box, can't finish, link up play, no good. 
this season he's turned it on his head. He's as obviously as fast as he's always been, but he is a killer in the box. And, you know, I think someone put it today. They said uh, Vinicius Jr. is the player that they thought they were going to get with Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard has been huh. a nightmare, disaster, barely played, barely scored, uh, 100 million uh, euros they paid for him. Uh, but Vinicius up in that, in that absence, uh, and he's been a revelation. Uh, one of the players of the season. And with Benzema being in such fine form, such, you know, Ballon d'Or contending form, um, you know, that's such a deadly combination. Uh, You know, overall Madrid, how they'll go throughout the season, this is a week La Liga. You know, Barca aren't good. Atleti have their issues. Sevilla don't have the quality to challenge at that level. Uh, Real Sociedad are up there, but the depth is an issue. And, you know, eventually they're probably going to come unstuck. So you would expect Madrid to win this title. But I don't expect them to do a lot in the Champions League if they come up the likes of Bayern Munich, I think, are much stronger than Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. Um, all these teams are much stronger than them. So, you know... Madrid, impressive, um, but still a ways to go to be where they want to be, which is always the final of the Champions League. Mm. Well, Nick, I know you mentioned him before, but Vinicius Jr., the way you were speaking about him before, his brilliant form at the moment, you know, nine goals for the year, um, second only to the player that I do want to ask you about, which is Karen Benzema. How much of Vinicius Mm. Jr.'s excellent form and this, um, you know, fresh sort of sharpness that we're seeing from him, how much of that is, is just Karen Benzema rubbing off onto the onto the wing and over to Vinicius Jr. Uh, it's a good question. Look, I think Karim Benzema is probably one of the best strikers you can play with if you are a winger who likes to cut inside mm. because he is what he can do. He's equally adept at vacating space or coming towards you to combine with you to play one-twos and that kind of thing. He's so dangerous on his own that he's always going to drag one or two players um, out of the space for you to run into. Um, And also when he drops, Vinicius can go in behind. So there's a good little tandem going on there. But honestly, that was probably happening last season as well. But Vinicius was just missing every chance he got and overhitting every pass he had. And it was genuinely laughable. Like Vinicius was... He, I actually had no fear when Vinicius was through on goal. Like he was one-on-one with a keeper and it's the only time I'm like, oh yeah, this guy, no worries. And he'd miss every single time. And this season, he gets the ball within 40 metres of the goal and suddenly I'm nervous like, ah, no, he's going to do something. Ah, oh, he's going to do something. Mm. And yeah, that's the player you want if you're Real Madrid. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one last one before we let you go, Nick. Um, we love seeing Atletico Madrid lose. I mean, they, they haven't whoa, been... Whoa, whoa, We do whoa, here, whoa, we do whoa. here, because they do obviously have been, in a lack of a better term, played the football te- played football terrorism for so long. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed it the one time they did it against Liverpool. That, that was about yeah, it, that, really. Yeah, that, before the world came to a stop, that was yeah. fantastic. But, I mean, they're, mm. they're staying in touch in the league. Um, but it's like in the Champions League, they don't want to win. That's what at least what we look like in midway against Milan. It's like they're just happy to draw games. Yeah, look, I mean, they're stuck between this style. I mean, look, Atleti are at their best when they're playing a team like Liverpool or when they're playing a team that, you know, they can really invite to to come at them and open up space in behind uh, a team that they can frustrate. But, yeah, Atleti, I feel like they're never going to be convincing. They're always – everything about 
uh, Cholo Simeone is about suffering. He says football is, you know, if Danny Rojas says football is life, for Cholo Simeone, it's football is suffering. And it's just all about, oh, you know, we have to suffer through every single game. Uh, and, you know, all of us watching have to suffer watching Atletico Madrid. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think they have uh, quite transitioned this season in terms of, you know, Jao Felix still, you know, he's injured now, but they still haven't quite got in him in, uh, you know, issues with Suarez hasn't been at his best. Um, you know, they had a good win this morning against Cardiff, but Cardiff aren't anything special. So to beat them is, is nothing amazing. Um, Griezmann is starting to find form, which is important for them. Um, you know, he could be really key uh, them for them this season. Um, but they're also their defense isn't as strong as it used to be. You know, it used to be, you know, you could barely score against them at home. It, it, they would almost always win one nil. Um, this season, it, it's not quite like that. Uh, I think Savic and Jimenez, you know, they're not quite the impenetrable pair that maybe got in and Jimenez were a few years ago. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, but I don't think uh, I don't think this is going to be the classic one nil Atleti season where they you know rack up eighty points with one nil wins. Hey, so Nick, what you're saying is if he's obviously using these Ted Lasso references, you're saying that almost mm-hmm. Diego Simeone is like the Nate of season two in the sense that he's got donned the black suit. It almost yeah. feels exactly the same sort of you know difference football is suffering he doesn't want the believe signs up in the change rooms he will rip that stuff down if i was going to compare simeone to any tv character i think it has to be more like tony soprano than nate like (laughs) this dude like you know nate Nate's just a bit of a sour, you know. Lost soul. He's nervously, yeah, he's nervously like kissing girls who don't want anything to do with him. Simeone's the type of guy that will like smile at you and then have your whole family like murdered and, you know, all, all kinds of things going on there. So, you know, if the FNR lawyers want to break out, I'm just joking. <laughs> Simeone was not involved in that. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely – look, the, the other thing as well for Atleti, it's interesting because they're probably – he's been there now, I think, 10 years. Uh, he's one of the longest-serving managers in Europe. And, you know, they have fully committed to his way of football from, from the first team down. So at a certain point, when does Atleti want to move to a new style, to a new coach? They kind of want it to evolve with Simeone. I don't think Simeone really mm. – I think he can evolve or every time he tries, as soon as he gets nervous, he just goes back to what he knows. In the same way, you know, Guardiola, whenever he gets nervous, just puts on an extra midfielder. He's just like, well, I don't know what to do. I'll just get another midfielder on there. So I think I think he won't be able to kind of change his style enough for Atleti to go to the next level. But then I wonder, you know, who do they bring in? How easy is that transition? Um, it's probably a more longer-term question, yeah. but I kind of feel like Atleti may be stuck in this second, third position now for a while, which look is not real shame given the financial power of uh, Barca and Madrid. But this is a team that spent $120 million on a player in Joe Felix. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a concern because we talk about managers, you know, long-standing managers in particular, uh, leaving a vacuum behind them as they step out. And when this sort of... Uh, system and setup is yeah. ingrained, as you said, Nick, from sort of the senior team mm-hmm. down to the youth level. There's not many. There is not many coaches that can, for you know, rightly or wrongly, depending on your opinions in football, uh, that can coach a system uh, like Simeone. So they're not just going to find a replacement who can continue to do that. There will have to be like a a reimaging, a reinvention 
for Madrid, even yeah. when it does happen. Mm. And you know what? Like people, I think, forget what Simeone took over. Simeone took over this team. They were in the relegation zone. Mm. They were not your regular, oh, they always finish third behind Madrid or Barca. No, they would finish mid-table, sometimes in the second division. Mm. You know, they'd get one or two good players. You know, Fernando Torres was kind of their amazing superstar, and he just kind of got them up to mid-table. And I was like, oh, oh what, you know, what an amazing job Fernando Torres is doing. So for him to turn them into the team, which is, you know, he turned a league that was only about the big two into the big three, which is actually very impressive. I guess the problem is, is that enough for Atleti? Are they accepting of that? Or do they have ambitions of, we want to be, you know, up there with Madrid and Barca and to a, you know, a greater extent now, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Manchester City, uh, you know, and even PSG, I suppose. Absolutely. Well, Nick, thank you very much for joining us here. Always appreciate you jumping on the show. Uh, quick little plug. Where can we get the National Curriculum episode two? Look, I believe you can get it um, on any podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, I believe. I haven't checked all of them, um, <laughs> but certainly the one I'm subscribed to, episode two, is there. Uh, I'd say Nick DeBarno made some amazing points. Um, I, I made some okay points. Uh, Lockie wasn't there, uh, disappointingly, but we hope to get him on there. But yeah, go check that out. Um, there'll be a few clips dropping on uh, the, tomorrow on social I as haven't, well. I haven't seen episode two just yet, but were there any more uh, important little notes like news banners. notes the yeah, the banners no. oh we changed there was, one we did one there was no breaking news there was no breaking news oh, but we did shame. adjust one team's name had to be adjusted mid conversation so I'm, there's I'm one to look now. out for so hopefully whatever obscure yeah. podcast platform underground podcast platform i use i'm sure the national curriculum will be on there and i'll listen to episode 2 yeah, on the way and home. um the dmp so i mean it was definitely <laughs> interesting um, yeah, look, Ante is better without Ante, I'm telling you, always. <laughs> Ante would have just said some dumb crap like, oh, oh Modric should win the Ballon d'Or this year. Like, no, nah, no. Nah, that, that's the reason why the West United Perth Glory game was so boring because uh, Modric did not win the Ballon d'Or. There you have it. Um, <laughs> Nick, thank you very much, um, and uh, we'll chat again soon. All right, thanks, guys. No. Sometimes I feel, I don't know, I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's no really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a bad bitch. You don't have to get a bad bitch. Attaccare! Attaccare!